0: Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener-supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video, is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. This week on the Evolve Move Play podcast, our guest is Julie Angel. Julie is a documentary filmmaker and a movement teacher. She has been closely involved with Parkour Generations in the past and now works with C and Do and organizing women's parkour training and movement training all around the United States. She's the author of a book called Breaking the Jump, which is a, basically an ethnography of the development of the parkour community. She's a fascinating thinker and has done a wonderful job popularizing some of the most important teachings in parkour. So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast and share some of these ideas with you. And she's been on a very interesting journey herself in movement. So without further ado, Julie Angel, welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. Julie, it's wonderful to have you. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah.
0: good Very day. good. So I uh, I remember meeting you in um, 2011. I think something like that. Um, no, maybe longer ago. It was a while ago. 2000. No, it was 2008. I think 2008. I came to a uh, a parkour generations class. Was it- and you were there. Chris Keeley was teaching the class. There were sixty people in that class.
2: Um, was, it, was that at Moebius in London?
0: Yeah, it was.
2: Yeah, but it got kind of crazy there at one point.
0: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And what I what's really been striking to me of watching your kind of journey uh, is, you know, we within the parkour community, we were aware of you because of your your visual art, because of the uh, the films that you made, yeah. and. And then when I met you, I was, I was, I guess you had just started actually doing the practice yourself.
2: Oh yeah, shit, I, mean, I couldn't do anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the time, you know, you looked like someone who hadn't, uh, hadn't done any fitness stuff in a long time. looked so pretty, pretty out of it. Uh, and yet you, you know, this is what, 10 years down the line. You know, now you're you're teaching it, you're representing it, you're organizing things all around the world, doing it, and I think that's just a really inspirational story for people because a lot of people ask me, you know, am I too old to get in the, into this, right? And so, so I, I just thought that was a really cool place to start with. So tell me uh, us a little bit about your background and what it is that you're you're doing now with anthropology, um, visual arts, <laughs> uh, movement arts,
2: the many hats. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my background, uh, I mean, I I trained as an artist, I trained as a as a filmmaker. And um, when I left art school, I really wanted to just do abstract cinema, which is a very kind of like fine art and animation. I was into really experimental kind of work. And then you realize like, it's highly unlikely <laughs> that I'm gonna kind of be able to do that, even though I really love that. Um, but I really love documentaries and um, just, stories I've just always loved stories and stories about people and because the the kind of nonfiction side of life is you know that it's a truth that is stranger than fiction so like you know some as many of the people we know and stories we know it's like you just can't make that stuff up like it it would sound too fantastical Uh, and I I just had a a couple of very lucky opportunities to work with some friends who are extremely talented um, and made some projects that, that did well and you know it was just i was on my path as a, a documentary filmmaker and um lo- love doing that and then i uh i I'd, I'd been here actually in the states working on a project with a friend about pool skating in southern california and um uh Milan basich who i was working with i mean he's uh He's just effortlessly talented. Like you could you could just go like, oh, hey, Milan, like, go go shoot that pile of bricks. And he'd make it look amazing. And I I could make it look quite interesting if I worked really, really hard at it. Mm-hmm. And
1: so,
2: you know, I've, I've been around a lot of people with a lot of talent and I, I just learned from them. I'm, I'm kind of a grafter. Um, and so Milan and I had done this big project. Uh, I was back in the UK, I moved to London. I was kind of a bit lost and I just knew that like, I love filmmaking, uh, but I didn't want to work in television. Television kind of makes me feel kind of dirty and, and I tried like I had a few gigs and um, I'm not really a yes person. So when you're on set and you're, or you're doing stuff with people and, and they want you to act like, like this entertainment thing is the most important thing. You're like, guys, you didn't like cure malaria. Like, come on, right? <laughs> you know, it's just and like, I don't know. I just never felt fashionable enough or yes enough, it it just wasn't my world and so I was kind of looking for um, film things and I I don't even know where it came from at the time but um, yeah I wanted to do some evening classes and there's an amazing institution in London called SOAS which is the School of uh, Oriental and African Studies, it was the first ever anthropological kind of institution Um, and so it's this kind of like bedrock of, of intellect and history and art and i started these evening classes there and um to this day they are the most intellectually stimulating hours of my life um, i would go to these classes and we would talk about and i learned about visual anthropology and so i remember on the first kind of icebreaker evening um dr charlie gore uh, who became a friend um you know, it was like, kind of, you're going around in the room, and I was like, hi, my name's Julie, I'm an independent filmmaker. And they were like, oh, you're an anthropological filmmaker. I was like, I have no idea. I don't know what that is yet. Uh, I don't know, I'll I'll tell you at the end of the course. Um, And then at the end of the course, I realized, like, I am. And that's actually what Milan and I have been doing for the the previous two, three years with with chlorine, with the pool skating dock. And, And so I loved this world of visual representation with ethics, with this kind of deep immersive field work, with this feedback loop of participants voice, of the participant uh, observation. So you find a role in that community and through that you learn um, a representation of it, but you also study the politics of representation. What do these words mean? What do these images mean? And When they're constructed together, what do they communicate? So that then the timing of that I just had to do an assignment about something and uh and at the same time parkour was emerging in just some little pockets of mainstream media in the UK so there was the rush hour BBC one ident um and you know and that that was just kind of wow like it's a beautiful piece of filmmaking and and there's obviously like you know a beautiful movement and and this story and everything to it in this juxtaposition of you know the man who has the freedom to leave the office across the rooftops of London rather than get stuck in the gridlock and grind of the everyday and, and all of that, you know. But at the same time, it was so beautiful um, that it was presumed to be special effects. It was like, well, there is no real life spine. Yeah. Like, that jump, that roof seem like, yeah, special effects amazing these days. So cool. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was 2002 or 2003. Um and then uh, Jump London came out, and so I started writing about that, and, and I saw these parallels with the pool skaters in terms of um, people who see the environment differently, and the people who see this beauty in banal. So I, I really loved how the pool skaters were just so excited by these like shapes. not at the pools, I get it. Like I actually I love swimming, so I, I'm a big fan of of water and and yeah, these like pockets of these little, you know, blue teardrop pools in people's gardens. And then actually what happened to the kind of socioeconomic factor of these pools, especially in Southern California back at the back at that time, um, was interesting. So there were these guys like, you know, looking at, you know, the streets and, and these railings and these walls, which otherwise were just like, they're just railings and walls. and They're not particularly nice walls. And I think like, why would I be interested in this wall? Like, it's a shitty wall. Um and uh and they saw beauty in that and they used their imagination and they used their physicality in this artistic way. So it was an extension of themes and ideas that I'd been exposed to and was looking at. Um but I was coming from this uh this visual artistic framework embedded with a politics of representation and kind of an ethics to that representation and responsibility and role within it. So Kind of fast forward a bit. Uh, fell in love with visual anthropology. Wanted to keep with visual anthropology. Ended up being invited to do a practice-based PhD, so an AV PhD through Bruno University in London, um, and got in contact with uh, the kind of biggest London group at the time, which was Urban Free Flow. Um, They'd done some, you know, uh, articles in the Guardian newspaper and things like that. So it was kind of easy to get hold of them, and I didn't speak you know, fluent French, so I didn't want to go to France. Uh, I'd had this project where I'd been, you know, in the UK and in the US, and I just knew the, the toll that, that that takes on you personally, and you know, also for the project and the finance and all that stuff. So I was just like, no, I'm in London, I'm going to do this. So uh, you basically, you know, I basically just started hanging out. And, you know, I contacted Easy and said, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, and can I come and film you guys? And he was like, yeah, sure. He was uh, you know, at that, that point in Open Free Flow's development. Uh, they were saying yes to everything. You know, it was kind of the world was an oyster. And he was a filmmaker who just wanted to turn up and listen to them. And uh, I wasn't selling a product. I wasn't saying, hey guys, can you jump around? I, w- I wasn't directing anyone. I was, I was just listening and watching. Um, and then what also kind of gave me like this kind of, Crazy credit as well was the fact that um, the chlorine, the pool skating project, involved some of EZ's heroes. So he followed the skaters as a kid. He was like, "Oh my god, you've met Lance Mountain! Oh my god, you know Steve Olsen and Dave Hackett is fuck. You've met Tony Alva. And I was like, "Yeah, like they're not my heroes. Like super nice guys, really fun. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a skater, but like yeah, it was really cool, you know." Um, so, you know, I was very aware of my context. And it's funny because, you know, you say, so at 2008, you say, you know, like, I'm obviously someone who had not been in shape and done fitness for a long time. I've been training three years at that point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I started in 2005. So, yeah, like, I've been sat down for 20 years. You know, I was, the, I was the active teenager who then just stopped being active because I don't know, I never consciously chose it. Um, but, you know, I was at art college, I had different friends, I was doing other stuff, like... You know, I went from captain of the netball team, you know, did sprints, long jump, high jump, relay for the city of Plymouth and athletics Club, and then to just like, no. Oof. Sat down. So, yeah, like starting training was. Okay. You
1: know,
2: killed me. Like, everyone has the comedy story of the, especially that kind of training at that time, that was just like.
0: <laughs>
2: brutal condition of like yeah, yeah i remember you you cry and you die and you can't walk down the stairs for three days you know like and, and you can't laugh and you you want to laugh but then like everything it hurts your abs and then you're like okay i, I need to drink loads of water because i heard de- like hydration is really good to get rid of this stuff and then you're like no but that makes me you're getting off from the toilet it really hurts my legs and Like, and then you just look laughing i was i remember just laughing at myself this, this is ridiculous. Like the scale of this is, is ridiculous. So yeah. And basically, you know, when you're, when you're around people who are moving a lot, it's contagious. And, and what I realized from those early days is that, um, people weren't up on rooftops doing crazy stunts and big things. Um, the everyday practice was, was stuff that was scalable and adaptable to me. The everyday stuff was people playing on the pavement, playing on the park bench, playing on the the, the low level things, like there weren't there there wasn't like all the high baller stuff, you know? So it was kind of um, but not many people were seeing that. And it was only because of what I was doing with my research that I was exposed to that. And because I was exposed to that side of it, when there was a class that started six months after my research, I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna go and do this. And that's how it began. Yeah.
0: So you're telling us about uh, basically you've gotten us up to 10 years ago when we met, you had a background with visual anthropology, which are fine arts, visual anthropology, and then that got you the parkour community. And so that's where I met you and your films were pretty well known in the parkour community at that time. And then what's been interesting is you've, you've kind of really taken a, from being maybe more of an outsider who's, who's uh, um, documenting the community, you've taken a more and more active role organizing things like the women's jams and or the women's movement uh collective see and do these projects teaching your own workshops now so it's been really interesting to see how you you've gone through that path so how tell us about the last uh, few years and, and how that's all grown for you
2: um yeah I mean there was there was never a plan um and yeah I was always uh you know for a good decade it was just Uh, navigating that role of insider outsider because you have to be on the inside to understand it to be able to communicate something to the outside but then you always have to be on the outside so that you know how to communicate that inside to the outside so there's this constant kind of dance that, that you're always playing um with which you know you kind of through your field work you just become you kind of understand the dynamics of that um, and you know, yeah, my, my identity was very much tied to like, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a filmmaker. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was just around more and more movement people. And, and my, my learning has like the doors have opened through, through the camera lens, like again and again. Um, so different movement systems and, and also it became a kind of, uh, trade system so it'd be like oh I'd really love to come and do this course but uh, I can't afford it and people are like oh I kind of need some video stuff at the moment uh could you come and do it and shoot some stuff for me and I'm like yeah, yeah yeah sure so um so I I had these ex- experiences in different systems and and did that and then yeah I was very much uh, in a lot of them you know there weren't many women and there weren't many women um and, and women and people in general who were older than a lot of the, uh, you know, or, or of my age, there were a lot of people who were 10, 20 years younger. So I'll be, you know, 49 next week. Um, and, uh, so then people would just kind of say like, Oh, would you, you know, help me with that? Or will you share with that? Or, oh, I'm, I'm around after the course for a few days. Like, can I train with you? And I'd just be like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I think because my journey had been like, so slow it has been like the the baby baby steps so like I've had like every mental block scared of everything like I've really had I had to build up my my physical game and my mental game and the emotional journey that you're on through that so um you know nothing came easy to me so when it comes to helping people like I get it like um I, I have friends who are like so gifted in in their kind of natural talents that that i know at the beginning of their teaching journey not where they are now but at the the beginning of their teaching journey they'd be like oh god what like that that person like like say to teach a a wall run you know the technique where you put the the foot and you use the momentum to go up the the wall or or the tree branch or or the trunk or whatever um you I remember, you know, my, when I first started doing it, like, there wasn't one cell in my body that wanted to go and put my foot against this wall with any momentum. It was just like, that's nuts. That just doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, there's not one cell in my body that wants to do that. It's like, no way, no fucking way. And, but the other people, like, who who had been these kind of more, you know, uh, they had this higher kinesthetic intelligence than I had at the time. They were just like, oh yeah, you just go there and there. And I'd be like, there's no just go about any of this. Like, no, 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 this is a big story. This is like, oh, no, no, no. so, you know, the person who just like can't do that thing doesn't feel ready to do that thing. Like I just, I know I have a lot of physical empathy for people who are on a, a certain type of journey who are returning to movement perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm a movement returner. Maybe I've never thought about it until right now. Um, uh, so yeah and then it was actually um life was just at a, a crossroads a couple of years ago and I moved to San Diego and I was saying to uh a good friend of mine uh Mary Beth, Beth and Jimmy and uh, I was just like I, I, I don't know what to do like I, I just really just really don't know what to do and she was like teach movement and I was like no I'm not a coach and she was like yes you are so like, you've taught me you've taught my girls like I've, I've seen you uh at workshops and and you do that she was like teach movement. I was like, nah, nah. And then another friend uh, uh, in San Diego, I was talking to about parkour and, and she was like, could, could I come and train with you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you can come out, come out anytime. And she was like, like I have other friends who want to come and train as well. Like, would you do a class? And I was like, well, yes, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, just come, come train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sure, just whatever, whatever. So it happened very organically. And it was, and then uh, Keiko, uh, a friend in, in Long Beach, I mean, we met six, seven years ago um, at an event in Toronto, and um, I mean, she's she's fifty nine, moves like a twenty year old guy, like phenomenal, just just phenomenal, like yeah. big dive comes, barefoot wall run. She's just like so, and she was like, "Julie, come come and come and share some of your ideas." Like, I have a community, like you you don't you don't need to worry about anything. Just just come and share some of your ideas. So, really, these three women, so Mary Beth and. And Jill and, and Keiko were, were the ones who kind of started me on this, like, yeah, do that. And then my friend, the other turning point was uh, my good friend, Jared Tavasolian, who I, is now kind of a business partner with me in Movement Snacks. Um, he asked me to train him. And I was like, are you serious? Like, me? Train you? Are you joking?
1: He's yeah, yeah.
2: like, this guy moves. So he was one of, like, he's been, he's been moving since, like, in his teenage years. And, and he did everything from the journey of like, you know, he was the gym guy that, you know, kind of wanted to look good bodybuilding and then he got more into functional. And then, you know, he was part of Edo's like, Edo Portal's like inner circle and he was doing all this stuff. And like, you know, he knows all these different systems. And I'm like, why, why, why do you want me to teach you? Like, I love you. And you're my friend. Like, yeah, let's hang out. But you want me to coach you? And he was just like, yeah, Julie, like, you can do stuff that I can't do, and that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, sure, let's 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 play. So because we came from completely different ends of the spectrum of I'm all like free and improvise and play and outside and da 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 da, and he's kind of like had to go through this paradigm shift of like, but can you really get strong doing that? I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah. You seen Kiko? You seen that? You seen like, yeah. He's like. Wow, and like so adding these elements of you know the the mind games and the emotion of it and like no there's no sets and reps and sometimes you've got to go out and just spend a couple of hours doing one thing and to to know what your relationship is with that one thing. It's not so so yeah, those people, without them I wouldn't be uh so it was other people having kind of faith in me and, or just asking me to do stuff and just going, Yeah, okay, like all right. And then like and then, you know, you get to a point where you're like, Okay. Yeah. I'm a movement coach. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I had the same dilemma about writing a book. I'm like, I'm not, I don't write. I'm not an author. A, you know, kind of like, um, you can put yourself in a box more than anyone else can. So, and then you just got to let it go. But yeah, do you know what? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an artist. I'm an author. I'm a movement coach. Like, yeah, I'm a dog walker and I'm a chef and I'm a gardener, you know? So, um, so yeah, there was no plan. And, and again i'm i'm aware of my context i'm aware that um there's a uh the the power of physical empathy the the power of that the this feeling of you know like them and us and we can have that divide through anything so like with with my my early days parkour coaches you know as as lovely as, <laughs> as they were you know my my own kind of excuses would run and dialogue would run, you know, like someone like Chris or Blaine, you know, Blaine like nicest guy in the world, like uh, you know, Blaine for, for all his like humility and kindness and gentleness. And he'd be like, okay, Julie, just try and do this and, and do do this. And he would break it down to these like, you know, very achievable steps. And internally I'd be like, Yeah, it's right for you, Blaine. Yeah. Like phew. I've seen the size of your legs, I've seen I've seen how strong you are, I've seen how, you know, and so you know, we run our bullshit. Um and and I know the power of physical empathy when when it changed, and then when the first time I had a female parkour coach, I couldn't run my bullshit. And I was just left with like, Well, well, I know Auntie and Fizz have just done all of that, and they wouldn't ask me to do anything that they've never done themselves, so I can't I can't run that bullshit. And whether that is your excuses are your, you know, your stereotype kind of bias around whether it's your your age, your your gender, your background, your um, your height, your your whatever, whatever the thing it is that you have. You know, we kind of uh, run our own stories sort of unchallenged sometimes. So, um, yeah. So for a lot of people, yeah, they may not feel the same turning up with a, uh, or let's just say. Sometimes people feel more comfortable to go like, okay, I'm training with this woman, and she's of this age, and I know she she's on, a, you know, she's had her return journey, and so maybe she'll help me with mine, you know. So, um, but yeah, there was no plan; It just kind of happened.
0: Very interesting. So, um, yeah, there's a few themes in there that'd be really interesting um, to go off of. I guess the the one thing that's you know I think is particularly inspiring is you know so you said you're 49 now and if you Mm -hmm. wine 10 years ago how does the Mm -hmm. capacity that you have now compare to what you were capable of 10 years ago
2: oh man I couldn't do anything 10 years ago (laughs) I mean I could but it took me seven years to vault you know like I was like the queen of the step vault I was stepping over things yeah years and years and years um and I I remember I, I still remember the first class where like and it was an indoor one and I vaulted over a box and I remember Forrest just like going, whoa! <laughs> and it was like, shit, wow, like I really did that. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I never thought I, would, I could do a pull up, you know, and then someone comes along and they show you how, they, they give you a technique and they, they do it in a way that's scalable. And, and then it's just a matter of your continuity whether you feel supported in that accountability and then whether you have the the other pillars of health in your life to facilitate that as well you can't you know like go oh yeah yeah but I'm doing my training but at the same time you're you're not eating well you're not sleeping well you have huge emotional stress you're dealing with some trauma or or whatever so you know it's it's part of life um but uh, for me personally, there, there were really big changes when I changed. Um, I also changed what I ate. Um, I was a vegetarian for 20 years and um, I started eating. I had a lot of injuries and I went to see a Chinese medicine lady and I didn't tell her anything. I was just like, oh, I just want to kind of MOT, like a, a car service report. I was just like, and, and she looked at my tongue and my ear and she was just like, you're empty said nutritionally you're empty she said you you have a reservoir yours is gone so she was like eat chicken and I was like I don't want to eat chicken I'm vegetarian <laughs> and she, she just kept saying like eat chicken eat chicken would you take medicine if you were sick and I was like yeah maybe um, so uh so I I've introduced fish for for a couple of years and and I felt the impact immediately and then after so it had been like 23 years without meat and then I introduced meat again and my strength tripled in like in a three months it it was phenomenal so what I changed facilitated basically I would go out previously I would go out and train and I and it would be great and then the next day uh it wouldn't be kind of like muscle ache or pains it would be exhaustion it would be a, a kind of fatigue and it would take me two three days to recover from that fatigue until I felt them ready to go out and kind of you know, move again in a in a more exertive kind of way. And then with with these changes for me personally it just meant I could go out and train. And I'd wake up the next day, I'd feel amazing. I'd go and train again. <laughs> um, so that was a big factor. And then also finishing my PhD took a lot of stress out of my life. And as soon as I got rid of that, every time I went out and trained, I like I broke a jump. Like just new stuff happened. It was just like so, um, yeah, I can't remember your, what your question was. <laughs> like, oh. doesn't matter,
0: it's good. Uh, so yeah, those are two actually is interesting. that That's come up a lot recently. The, the, the impact of recovery on these things. Mm. I know my own personal practice. Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes push myself really hard and I get that exhaustion. I, I just came back from uh, three weeks on the road in Europe and mm-hmm. I really performed at a higher level than probably I've ever performed for a longer, more. Uh, wow and of time and on the flip side of it there was a real down and kind of energy low and I've been thinking a lot about uh, how to build a better recovery practice mm-hmm. curious for you if I mean I I'd like to know kind of what your movement practice looks like right now like what's the the day-to-day look like what are the elements that you bring in but also maybe what your recovery practice looks like how do you take care of your body so that you can continue to 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 wake up and feel good and want to train tomorrow
2: Mm-hmm. I mean the the one of the main things for me is like I'm I'm training for life now like after this kind of you know like you know age 35 return to movement kind of uh, joy like I'm not I'm not training for anything other than being better at life like I'm not I'm not training to shoot a video to enter a competition to, to do whatever I'm just training to like have a really good life and and I know from my experiences that that because it's part of life it has to fit in with it so like you know if i'm on a uh like if i'm in my kind of creative industries world and i'm on a shoot i know like for like i know five days couple of weeks something like that um i know like you know I'm, i'm not gonna go and train hard in the middle of all that like stress is stress whether it's movement stress in your body or intellectual stress or emotional stress or sleep deprived stress or, or or whatever. So, um, I I really know my why of, of why I move and why I train. And, um, the, for me, and, and I, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the converted definitely with you. I know, like for me, like the magic happens outside, like it's just, it's indisputable. And, um, so I know that to, to feel good, uh, I I need to move outside and I know that when I do that on a on a daily basis and like moving outside like beyond walking the dog but um, but there are there, there's some days where you like that's all I've got and that's that's really cool if I spend like in total 2 hours walking with with Pax my dog like it's good it, it's fine so um I'm always open to learning new stuff so, um, I think, you know, always just go and play and find things you love. So, I mean, right now, uh, I'm really lucky. I have a friend nearby and he's, he's doing kind of just like outdoor movement stuff and we love training together. So, like this morning before, before this call, he was doing a, an animal flow class. And I, I knew like, I wouldn't even, I knew I, I was only going to be there for 20, 25 minutes. And I was like, I'm coming. Because okay. I know, like, if I come outside and I'm barefoot on the grass just doing this for 25 minutes, I'm going to be in a better mood to do this interview. (laughs) It's just a beautiful start to the day. And I mean, I get up, I put clothes on and I go outside with, with my dog for half an hour. And like for this morning, it was at 10 past five. It was still dark, but like the sky was beautiful. The air cool. It's, you know, and, and I see different things in nature at five, six in the morning that I do at other times of the day. So I start up and outside immediately. Um, and then I kind of work for a few hours and then to like seven or eight. And then, yeah, a group of us, we, we meet and we go to the park and we do like some animal flow stuff, some original strength reset stuff, some move style stuff. Uh, then we go in the ocean. Uh, I'm really lucky where I live right now. Uh, I mean, the water is getting cooler, but like still great. It's still great. So, um, yeah, it, the, the class always ends with like a couple of us just going up okay, now we go and jump in the ocean. Okay. And so sometimes that's a swim. Sometimes um, I surf. So sometimes we take our boards and then we'll surf. And then um, some days I go to a climbing gym uh, nearby. It's a really, really cool facility. Um, But I really notice the difference if I get up and my morning training session is the climbing gym versus outside. Like I love the climbing. I I go there and I I lift as well. I'm, I'm trying to Uh, lift get back into lifting I was lifting a lot kind of two years ago and um, probably like four or five times a week and then when I moved to San Diego uh, I just I would go to the gym and I would set up the the barbell and I'd just be like "Fuck it," and I just set it up and then I just put it away and drive to this there's a beautiful calisthenics park which overlooks the water and I'd like even if I just go and stand on a rail for 20 minutes, like that was amazing. Um, and so I cut my lifting back down to like once or twice a week and all my PBs went up, all my, all my numbers went up. Um, so, you know, there's an overtraining thing, um, but I was just really looking to, to feel good and, and have a lot of joy. So I do that. And then at the weekends, I am at the moment, I'm running quite a lot of parkour workshops So, uh, with doing a workshop, sometimes you move a lot and sometimes you don't. Um, so sometimes I'll, I'll do a a workshop or a class and then I'll train for an hour afterwards. So it's just mixing stuff up. Um, it's, it's just a mix and just, uh, if I feel tired the next day, um, I'll just walk, swim. Do the kind of the ori- original strength stuff, the, the nervous system resets are um, they've kind of been a gift. They they're really cool, and, and that was through uh again Mary Beskan Jemmy, she's she she did the original strength certs. and then Danny, who's one of the co-owners, she runs the women's movement uh collaborative. So um uh, Jared is is a, a coach as well so um yeah I've just kind of learned from them and I incorporate that and and it's just this like going back to simplicity uh this idea of like well things don't have to be really complicated they don't like you know it's like well something as simple as just being like what really like you're just kind of on your knees and you're just rocking and doing stuff like that it makes you feel good and it's like yeah it, it, like do that for five minutes you'll feel amazing. Um so and and you know, I sleep. I sleep a lot. Um if I'm tired, I nap during the day, I'll set the alarm 30 minutes. Um if I sleep, great. If I don't, great, it's fine. Um so I'm very in tune and aware of when I need rest and my my lifestyle is fortunate enough through working freelance that I'm like, yeah. Like I'll I'll rest now and work later. So, you know, the only time I'll set an alarm is if I have a plane to catch. That's that's it. So like I wake up when I'm ready. um, I go to bed really early. I get up early. um, Eat well. So there's just no I don't know. It just comes back to like joy and meaning. You know, like I have some movement goals every now and again, but I'm not hung up on any of it. Uh, There's no dogma. There's no kind of just like yeah like you know, so sometimes, like, you know, after, after we've been in the, in the sea, we'll come out and, like, on the way back on the, the car park, there's a, a nice big railing. So it's like, it never rains here as well. So, like, I don't get to train that slippery <laughs> rail work, So it's like, okay, our feet are wet. shit, Okay, we've got to walk the rail, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, just mixing it up and, and knowing and not, not prejudging also, like, how I feel in the morning. So, you know, movement begets more movement. So once you start moving, it's only then that you can actually see, well, maybe today is a good day for that. Or like, God, yeah, yeah I really want to move. And then you go out and like, you know, you do a few climbs and you're like, I'm fried.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. It's not the day. It's not the day for it. And it's only through experience that you can learn to know what's lazy, what's an excuse, When when is it a really smart move to go. Today's not the day for that jump. Today's not the day or like, okay, maybe I am capable of this. Like my, my friend Bruno and I were were training in this tree the other day and he could do this beautiful move where he could just like, kind of like run up the trunk, get his next leg to the second thing and then move around. And I had to do this kind of like, it scared the hell out of me just to put like, you know, one foot on the trunk and then reach for the branch and and do the movement. And, and we've trained together a lot uh, over the years. He's, he's a kind of parkour guy as well. And, and he was just like, ah, shut up. Come on, you've got it. You've got it. And sometimes you need someone else there to, to call you out. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm slow. And he's like, yeah, yeah, shut up. Yeah, 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 baby steps, whatever. Just fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, there's, um, you need to be honest with yourself. But I mean, sleep, most people just don't sleep enough.
1: Yeah. Well, I've got It's sleep. It's when you
2: get strong, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, people have kids they, you know, they be like, I'd love to sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to but that.
2: Yeah. there's life, there's, you know, life, life goes on. So it's about finding the relationship of where movement sits within your life. And then are you making smart decisions for longevity based around that?
0: Yeah. So I wanted to go back to this. Uh, you said you have a really clear why for your practice. And this is one <laughs> of the fundamental things. I think it's the the thing that probably distinguishes people who, who are able to maintain a practice long-term more than anything else is getting really clear on their why. And I think when you're not aligned with that, that's when you're in danger of burnout and danger of injury and in danger of a lot of these things. So could you unpack that a little bit more? Like what, what is it that really, you feel like you're gaining out of these practices that makes you come back to them?
2: So um, for me, like the, I don't have a sporting ego. So that makes it a lot easier. And I've seen other people struggle with that because and and I think this still goes back to like my primary identities as an artist if someone said like you you're you can only be creative up to this certain age I'd be
1: like, yeah, like
2: that's like that would just be like a huge dilemma yeah. um so uh so for me like when when I moved I it it's that beautiful like flow state of here and now so it's a the, the, the things I do in the way I move require me to be in the present moment. And the the ability to, to engage with that on a regular basis connects me to my unconscious mind, like a deeper sense of self. And I find that the most rewarding experience. So um, I was talking to a friend the other day and I was saying, you know, like parkour is the physical output of the expression of your subconscious mind. So... There's, there's there's nowhere to hide in it. Only you can do the move or whatever, and whatever the you know the the cognitive kind of chatter is, um, the, the deeper emotions and the deeper sense of movement is what plays out when you're in a practice that requires you to be in the here and now. So you know, some days the here and now is just playful. It it's just joy, and other times it's like my knees are physically shaking. I'm scared. <laughs> And, and other times it's like, shit, I've climbed this high. I, I need to find a solution. But right now I'm so scared I can't make decisions. So And it's knowing like, okay, we'll just keep going, keep going. So I, I, I do two things happen when I move. I get to see who I am and I get to learn who I am and improve on who I am. So it's a, a constant uh, beautiful feedback loop and and it's a it's a joy to it's and it's also just like a big anxiety release you know like of any you can't think of much when you're walking on a long skinny railing other than like (laughs) singing or being joyful or or, or whatever you're you know the these tree climbs i've been doing a lot recently with with bruno are, are like like I'm I'm not engaged in anything other than solving this thing right here right now where's the hand gonna go where's the foot gonna go like shit how can I get around that like um and you know I really enjoy my intellectual creative practices I love those head spaces but I don't want to be there all the time and and I also love through you know that's kind of one element of it and then I love the the sense of empowerment I have in my body. I love the fact that like, like I had, I had some funny stories recently or, or, or with Pax, my dog of, um, you know, he we were in a, a an enormous dog park. We don't normally go to dog parks. We're in this enormous dog park and he starts chasing a squirrel and jumps over the wall that's supposed to keep the dogs in the dog park. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, there's a road on the other side. And I just went, fuck so like i run and vault the wall and run down the road because i see my dog running uh, uh, down this road in the traffic so i i love that i can do that i love that i can go and get my crazy dog uh i was training in a park and i've been filming someone so that they could see how they move and then i put the phone down in the shade and half an hour later i had that like shit where's my phone And like everyone's done that, like, shit, where's my phone? And you you immediately run through the chaos that could unfold in your life by not having your phone that you don't want to be reliant on, but you are reliant on. And I said, like, shit, where's my phone? It's by the steps in the shade. And I sprinted. And the fact that, like, okay, I can can call on it. I can call on my fitness. It's not like, hang on. Let me warm up. Let me. (laughs) It's like, no, boom, I can move. And, and I love that. I love that I could help a, a neighbor lift his dog out of the truck after surgery because he, he couldn't move in and lift it. I, I, I enjoy being pain free because when I, when I didn't move, I had aches and pains and I move and I don't like my body feels great. I have no aches. I have no pains. Like it's, it feels great. So I, I feel I feel a freedom to play. I feel a freedom to, to move. I feel a freedom to, to live and do the things I want to do. And, you know, the, a combination of all those things, I get to, I get to see who I am. I get to know who I am. I get to improve on who I am. I get to change what if, whether I, if I don't like what I see
1: yeah.
2: and, and I get to be able to do stuff I want to do and, and feel energized and happy and pain free. Like, that's seven really simplistic whys and like, that's not even going into the deeper stuff. So, um, like, you know, so I'm not, why, why would I want that to stop? Mm-hmm. And I just, and I don't buy the aging deterioration story. I, d- I just don't buy it. That's you
0: know, cool.
2: I just don't buy it.
0: Well you're a good good example of of things going in the opposite direction which is really I think inspiring for people but um yeah what you said it was very aligned with with a, how I tend to think about it I, I tend to think of movement practice as a um as a laboratory for character right Sure
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: it's a place where you go and you get to look in deep at yourself yeah and, and see what's really there and it's a place where um you get punished for lying to yourself really quickly
2: Oh oh you lose <laughs> <laughs> you you just it's, not, it's just not going to go well and but some people are also not ready for that journey and i i've seen it when i've done kind of like workshops as part of other events as well it's like uh williams bell always said this he, he always said like you know everyone can do parkour but parkour is not for everyone Sure. And and you know that can be a, a, a applied across you know many movement practices as when when there is this element of it opens up areas of self reflection for you because mm-hmm. um, not everyone wants to it's not in alignment that they're, they're out of rapport and they're out of alignment with their own sense of self so if their sense of self is I'm strong and able and independent and da 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 and you give them a challenge where maybe other people who they haven't identified as being strong, independent people, they go and do it with ease. And then that person's asked to do it. And then that person's scared of it. They then have to face the fact, well, in not all aspects of your life, are you strong and independent and able. And that's, that's uncomfortable. That's, that's, you know, and you know, that's where the growth is and the learning is, and there's a space for joy as well. And, and, and I've seen people, yeah, not, not react well uh, to that. And, and when you've been through those, you know, your own journeys yourself, you're just like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's there at that bit. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. They'll maybe, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great if they spend time there. But maybe they're not ready for that. Maybe they don't want that.
0: Yeah, I think I might sort of shift that, what he said, uh, what William said. It's not so much that it's not for everybody, it's not everybody's ready for it where they are.
1: Yeah. And there yeah. Can yeah. Be
0: other pathways. Yeah. Uh, and and some people I think are 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 also stuck in it, right? I think that.
1: Oh yeah.
0: The movement practice is a really power is probably the most powerful way to kind of look deeply at your character. But I think any practice in which you can develop a lot of local competence mm-hmm. can become a place of comfort that that allows you to not to not pay attention to all the places where you're actually weak, mm-hmm. and you can just say, well. Yeah, I'm I'm scared to talk to girls. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I can't deal with confrontation in my job, but man, I can jump really far. And so I'm just going to go do that.
2: So what? <laughs> yeah. So what? Then you're, you're just a prisoner to your ego of the practice. Yeah. And I, I've seen that many, many times. So people say like, oh yeah, that person, yeah, but they must be really brave. And I'm like, that's bullshit. That's not brave. Like, show me someone who's dealing with a parent with Alzheimer's. They're brave.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's brave. Like, so, again, it goes back to where do you position this within your life? Um, and and if, if, if the lessons only stay in the movement practice, then, then that's, the, that's the space for growth. If, if the lessons are impacted into life, that's the potential for, for growth there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the kind of movement prison ego is... Um, and, I, you know, I, I understand it, I get it, but um, so it, think- uh, it's a shame for that person.
0: Having been kind of embedded in a lot of communities like this, do you have any advice for people on how to avoid that? Stay uh, humble. Stay humble.
2: Stay humble. Yeah, you know, don't don't take yourself so seriously. Stay humble.
0: It's it seems to me that one of the things that really helps is is really being clear about what the aim of the practice is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in your book, uh, breaking the jump, there's a there's a a description of uh, Williams Bell. I think mm-hmm. he was like eleven years old. Yeah. The, and he broke a big jump. And for him Yeah
2: yeah he's nine. Yeah, yeah yeah the beginning yeah yeah
0: he, and for him it was a really powerful and meaningful thing and he took another uh, kid there. Yeah. They, uh, and he broke the jump and he could see that the jump didn't actually mean yeah, me. it was
2: just like yeah so what?
0: <laughs> and and so I think you know Williams extracted the idea that it was the meaning that mattered, not the jump. Yes. Yeah. That's the key realization is that if you're not extracting the lessons and and applying them more broadly, then uh, the practice isn't serving you the way that it could.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's value in all of it, and it's just you know, like, so you know, for Williams, there there were more layers. There was like, okay, there there was the the physical, the physicality of of the jump, like. Is it good that this kid went out and and achieved something he didn't think he'd be able to do? Awesome. Was it good that he was outside? Yes. Was it good that he was moving? Yes. Uh, Same applies for, for his friend. Was there still value to that experience? Yes. Williams just then extrapolated that and then applied that as a metaphor for like, wow, Well, if I was scared of that one thing and I was able to overcome it, then I can overcome other things in my life that I'm scared of because I know that that's what worked in this scenario and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's not that there's there's just different levels of value, so for someone who just goes out and they do a class and they kind of just they just jump around and they have fun like there's value to that there's also value you know is there there's more potential than that and i and I think that's the thing um and on different days, like you know not everyone wants to go deep not not everyone wants to deep dive into like oh, oh you know this this kind of uh, emotional transformation, but then and also you know different things will speak to different people at different times um, so but there's always uh, with movement there 's always value, and whether that value is like someone walked around the block today, um, because I think as teachers we we never know that person 's story you know like we never know like well actually what's what 's going on in their life like you don't know the, the the silent ptsd they're dealing with you don't know the you know the 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 phone call they just received you don't know the thing that you know the medicine they need that day from their movement maybe it's just is actually just to turn up and and be with six other people standing outside so um you know in the same way you know you can never like you know you say at the beginning of a class like oh you know okay so you know has anyone got any injuries is there anything I can you know I need to know about and can you you know share and we can make it scalable or whatever like I always say to people as well like please take responsibility for yourself like only you actually know your story you know your health story you're the only one in your body I I can see some shapes and, and I can see some expression and, and I have a thing as well of like I really don't like what people train in sunglasses because <laughs> I can never see their eyes and like, I have no idea what's going on with you like
0: yeah
2: yeah i can't see your eyes i have no idea what's going on um that's
0: a a great point as a teacher you need
2: i need to see i need
0: well you need empathy empathy is one of your your primary powers as a teacher maybe your your first necessity as a teacher is the development of empathy sure closing off one of their primary uh Like,
2: are you you smiling are you crying are you glaring are you terrified Like, like show me something you know um so uh what was i saying i don't know um but yeah just uh uh, you know there's value there's always value and there's always more potential and it's not it's not always what everyone needs every day um you know but i think you know you know i've i've had a kind of deep journey and you're you're a, a great researcher and and your own personal journey and that of others and systems and um so like you know, we know we're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, but you could, you could, you could, and but sometimes as well, we just got to go like, when, whenever you're ready, whenever yeah. you're ready, I'm here and, and I can I can help you with that, you know. But that, that's that's for other people sometimes as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's sometimes it's about opening a question for someone and letting them mm-hmm. consider if the answer is actually important to them.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, that's happened to me many times like with uh the the one time with um uh I don't know if you have trained with or know um uh Thomas Quidick yeah um so so Thomas is like is a very very dear friend of mine and uh you know he just said one thing to me once uh, at the end of a, a training session and it put me into a completely existential crisis for 2 weeks <laughs> like me- messed with my mind And and afterwards, when I told him, he was like, "Oh, I don't really remember saying that." Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I was like, and it was just—it was at the end of a a a parkour class, and it had been like a big. Maybe it wasn't a big physical conditioning one, but I felt it. I and and I know I was like PhD writing at the time, and and and, yeah, it was like the end of the session, and there were all these push-ups and. Maybe it was Blaine who was like running the class, and and he was doing this like, okay, we're just gonna do three, but they were like super super slow mo, like duh, 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 duh. and then and at one point I remember just like lying on the floor, and, and my, my like puffy red face, like my head was in my hands like this, and I was like, Ugh. and and Thomas just squatted down in front of me, all like bright eyed, fresh face, like da, da, da. and and he was like come on, Julie, what's wrong? And I was just like, he's like, you have to to do one more. And I was like, I I can't. I can't. Fuck. I can't. I can't. And he just looked at me really calmly with this like angelic face and just went, you didn't try. And walked away. And I was like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But then it got in my head. And because, you know, at the time, I was like, fuck you. And I you know, felt pissed. I was like, you don't know how tired I am. You don't know how much I tried. You don't know how, how much, blah, blah, blah. you know, like my own little rant. And then I remember cycling home thinking, did I? Have I ever really tried? <laughs> at that time, when I cycle up the hill on the way home and, and, and I see the traffic light turning to red and I kind of want it to be on red because then I get a bit of a pause and I catch my breath before the last bit and yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I've never really tried, like bringing in all the shopping in one go. Did I really try yesterday instead of doing two things? Every single physical act in my life, over the next few weeks, I had Thomas in my head going, you didn't try. And then me answering, and no, and then me, it made me ask the question, have I ever really tried? Have I ever really pushed to a point where I go, yeah, I was being brave. Yeah, I was. And, and, uh, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And, and yeah, at the time, like, Thomas didn't really recall the, the thing. And now we kind of joke about it all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, do you remember that thing I said? I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> it did. It, it, was, it was two weeks of just questioning every physical act. I'd done and the layers of effort I'd put into it. And I was, obviously I, I think I was just ready to, I was ready for that. Like he didn't say that with any malice. He didn't say it, you know, we're great friends and like, you know, we, we kind of take piss a lot. And um, so there was nothing, there was nothing mean. There was nothing like, you know, like I've said way worse. <laughs> so there, there the was, you know, nothing bad, but it spoke to me at that moment um which set me off on a different yeah a very different path so we can say things and we can present those questions and then for me that was a moment of like okay I was ready to think about that and I and ask that of myself did I try you know um have I have I ever really tried to stay in balance to the point where I've got like fire in my belly and I'll, I'll do anything to stay have I really done that have I have I explored that or do I just
0: go, uh, oh. no. Cool. So that, that brings up two kind of, it's a great story. And it brings up two themes that I think are, that are interesting for me. One is, to me, that's like a, it's almost a philosophical lesson,
2: right? Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. Like you said it
0: was an existential crisis. A
2: crisis, completely. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and there's this, um, there's this interesting thing where, uh, you know, I, I think I heard you say this in a podcast recently, parkour is a philosophy with a physical pra- practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
0: and so people, I remember it's not so much a, a thing that people within the parkour community seem to talk about now that I notice anyways, but in the early days of parkour, especially on the forums, there's a lot of discussion mm-hmm. of the idea that parkour was a philosophy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but I can never get anyone to even define parkour itself
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a succinct and clear way. and, mm-hmm. and, and and it seemed to me that um, the parkour as a philosophy has never, been, has never been abstractly represented really clearly. It's an mm-hmm. embodied philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it's inchoate in a sort of verbal way, especially because we have a, a language gap between mm-hmm. the and, and, and the rest of the world. But so there, my first question is, what is your view of, of parkour philosophy? But then the other question that was embedded in that story you told was, there's something about the physicality that's necessary to the philosophy. And mm-hmm. the, it would have been very difficult for someone to have created the same question in you without the physical output. And this is what's, what where I think there's a necessity for the marriage of, of physical practice and sort of self-cultivation practice. It's, it's there that we get to to look at ourselves more deeply in some way than 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 almost anything else, and so I think there's there's something really interesting in the embodiment of philosophy that's happening with something like parkour. So I was just curious to get your 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 take on what is parkour philosophy and and what does it mean to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I will answer that like, hopefully clearly. Um, but yeah, so I mean, movement is an emotional practice, and I think that's the the missing part for for some people because um, they just go like, oh, yeah, it's this physical thing. And it's like, well, the nature of challenge and the nature of overcoming an obstacle is there's more than a physicality to it. And and it goes back to this mindful practice of self-discovery of what are your limits and your potentiality emotionally and physically in that moment. Which is why I I really like the kind of humility that was with um, a lot of the coaches that I was exposed to at the beginning. So, um, like, uh, so Stefan Vigroux always uh, kind of played a big role for me and and Johan and Thomas. And um, because there was this thing of, you know, like never say you can do something unless you can do it right now. Shitty shoes. In, in the dark, in the, in the way, in the cold, you're tired, you haven't slept. What would you mean? I've just driven for like, I've just got off a plane and like, so oh, shut up. Don't say you can do it. You can't do it, do it now. <laughs> and, and I really like that. Um, so, and it, it, this kind of, uh, you know, know thyself. It's this kind of uh, exploration of a baseline of, of where can you control your emotions that facilitate your physical practice? You know, the build, you know, building, building the muscles, getting the the body armor, the physical, physical conditioning. It's really straightforward. Five to seven years, (laughs) you know, ridiculous repetition, really good recovery, bish, bash, bosh. Um, People get there. They get there really quickly where it becomes interesting. But then is like, but yeah, where's your emotional game? and 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 how do you train that and a lot of people don't even know where to begin to to train that um and again there's a big magic outside that that's a part of that so um so philosophically speaking parkour is a is a tool for uh for understanding your physical and emotional abilities as a way to train overcoming obstacles that's that's a kind of you know um so yeah you know when people say oh yeah what's parkour and I say, it's a uh, it's a, a methodology to overcome obstacles both mentally and physically you know and and it can be playful it can be fun it can be but it's really uh and the thing is like yeah there's a physical practice to it and everyone thinks like okay well you have to go you know like there was a, a comment recently in one of the 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 parkour groups about like, and I can't remember, it was something like low level parkour or low impact parkour versus parkour. And I was just like, there's just parkour. Like, it's so reductionist to say, yeah, but this is low impact. And I was like, no, no, because so for someone who's, uh, for someone who can be, so effort, fear, and fear, and your ability to control your emotions and your body are very personal and they're very relative to the individual. So for someone to step over a wall, it could be a small, like, it could be a wall that architecturally doesn't look like very much. But for so, like what it's gonna take one person to do that is completely different than the experience of someone else to do that. So how dare someone else like define that as like well that's a different practice? It's like well no because that person has their own story, and for them to overcome that obstacle, may be huge. You just don't know their story. We just presume like okay, but if you can, I mean, I think you know like the most boring question in the world in parkour is like how big should you jump? It's like just like that. There's just no interest there, what whatsoever, in 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 that, and that's why. With, I mean, I've been very lucky with all the the filming I've done to be exposed to these really like beautiful elite movers, you know, and like I I love it. It's it's beautiful and it's wondrous, and and it's reframed uh, a reference of what's possible for the human mind and body to do, and it and it's mind and body because you don't play those high games and those big games without a mental game, you know, as well. So, you know, I see someone like, um, like Bobby Gordon Smith in London, who's just like, just like his kinesthetic intelligence is just off the radar, you know? Um, So for me, like Williams, Williams Bell, someone like and Bobby are probably the most creative, beautiful movers I've ever witnessed. Like, on ground, you know, they're just, uh, you know, phenomenal. But then, you know, there's always, someone else is coming and then they're adding their flavor and they're adding their mix or whatever. And like, but who's the bravest parkour person? Who's the person I've seen move with the most soul that, and like, give like every time, Katie Stanford in London, who, who no one knows of unless they, I mean, she writes amazing, very entertaining blogs. Um, and anyone who's trained with Katie is just blown away by like the spirit with which this person handles everything is just like man like give give, give me a drop of what katie has I, wow the things i'd achieve in my life you know so um
0: George um george berth said i i believe i don't know the quote precisely but something along the lines of you shouldn't measure someone's practice by the height of what they achieve, but by the gap between where they begin and where they end.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a true supporter of that. So, you know, it's about, it's about effort and that's personal and that's relative and that's individual. And, you know, so that's, you're not, you're not handing out medals. You just, um, you know, do you bring heart? Do you bring kindness? Do you bring, what do you bring to yourself and what do you bring to others? Um, and uh, and that, that's what I'm trying to, I really, and, and for me that really links into inclusivity of like, who feels welcome here? Who's, who's invited to, to play? Who, who's invited to this group? Um, because I, you know, I was, I was the person who was at the back. I was the person who slowed everyone down because I there was me moving, like, just, you know, starting to move in this very unlikely situation with people who were really phenomenal movers and there was no one in between. <laughs> so it, was like, it was me and really amazing movers. Yeah. And, and the, the, kind, the generosity that those people showed me, of uh, they were just like, yeah, yeah, Julie, if you want to come and train. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> and I mean, I would obviously never do anything that they were doing and, but they would, uh, like, someone like uh, Yao Gogolin in, in London, like, he was always just like, did you even come train with me anytime? And, uh, and that, that was amazing. You know, because I'd be like, what, like, someone, you know, like me, someone who moves like me can go and train with someone like you. He'd just be like, yeah, don't be stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he would always then like, set, set challenges for me or, you know, he, because at the beginning, it's very difficult for you to, believe in the sense of your own possibility so you don't always see the the things and then other people need to like set you those challenges um and and especially if you don't have that confidence in the beginning of your movement journey of going like i mean like johan vigru was a a really amazing one for that so because he he hated training indoors which made him the best indoor training coach so because everything that he set up indoors wasn't didn't have any reference to how anyone else did anything indoors. And because he just, he just knew outdoors. Yeah. So, and he would set up these, these stations and, uh and he would like, you know, go, okay, we're going to do this and you're going to go from there to there and there to there to there. And I'd stand at the beginning just like, going, like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> like fucking ridiculous. Nope, no. Nope. Maybe that bit there. And then, you know, an hour and a half later, it's like, wow, like still like, no, 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 no. And they're like, yeah, I did that bit. And that, I did that whole bit there and that whole bit there. So um, it takes a lot of repetition of having that experience to know, don't prejudge what you think you're capable of.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I can go to somewhere and if someone says like, oh, how about that for you? This da 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 or someone else does it. And I'd be like, shit, I would have never even looked at that. And then I know like, well, I don't know, just start. And, and it's that thing of go, just start. And then, cause you never know, like an hour and a half later or 10 minutes later, you may have just done things that you would never have believed possible. And, and once you do that within a movement practice, you, you have the emotional and the physical embodiment of that. That's when you apply that to other elements of your life. So yeah. that's, that's the crossover for me.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a philosophy embodied and maybe yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the the key here, you, you said earlier that, that movement is an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also say that emotion is a movement experience. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a duality. It's, it's a dance. And and I think lots of people are always trying to be like, Oh yeah, but the mind this and the body that and I'm like, it's a dance.
0: the body mind. Yeah. yeah. So there, uh, there's just, just to, to kind of hammering this point because I think it's really interesting. There's a research that came out recently that said, so traditionally we believe that people primarily process negative emotion in the mm-hmm. right hemisphere, which is associated mm-hmm. with the left half of the body, and positive mm-hmm. in the left hemisphere associated with the right half of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out that's only true in right-handed people. It's reversed <laughs> in left-handers. Uh-huh. And it's mixed in ambidextrous people. Great. So what it looks like is the, the way that your body, or the way that your brain processes emotion is, is coded off of the way that you use your body. Because mm-hmm. we use our non-dominant hand to move things away that we don't want. Mm-hmm. And we our dominant hand to get things that we want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So like, the very basis of our emotions is an embodied experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thing for people to think about. If, if, you, if you want to, the, these, these tools can be really powerful in integrating these different systems.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 for sure.
0: and uh, it's funny uh, you mentioned um, Bobby uh, because I was Mm -hmm. I got to train with Bobby for the first time ever when I was in London and (laughs) uh, it was super fun so but uh, I'd been training for like an hour and a half before the guy showed up and then we trained for like another couple hours and then we were walking and we came across this big oak tree Mm -hmm. and uh, you know Farid uh Herrera. I've
2: heard of I haven't met him in person, but I, I only hear amazing good things about Farid yet.
0: So Sweet so broke this relatively small jump, uh, like it's like maybe an eight foot precision between two tree branches. Um, mm-hmm. and that was hard and it was like, okay. But then then Farid took it one level higher, and now we're jumping from a twelve foot high branch. To another branch,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: it's like a, it's like an eight foot with three foot drop to a branch, like yay big,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and then Bobby goes over and looks at this jump that starts fourteen feet off the ground, travels twelve feet, and lands on a branch that's uh-huh. that's eight feet above the ground. Yeah, and I had looked at it; I was the first person to look at it, and I knew internally that I had the muscular strength to make it there, but I'd never done a jump that was just anywhere near that, like that, that proportions from a standing, yeah. jump. just. Yeah, yeah. The context yeah. was completely outside it. It was unmapped for me. Yeah. Uh, but Bobby was like, no, I'm pretty sure I can do this. And he did a little timer jump, he went up and he did it, and Freddie did it, and then I went up there. And, and it was a really interesting experience because I, I, I couldn't actually believe that I could do the jump. Like I couldn't get that sense of like internal, like, yeah, I know that I can do this. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that I could push myself through in this specific context, mm-hmm. so I was able to do the jump. And so it was a really powerful experience. It was, so it was, uh, it was fun that you mentioned him there. And it, to me, that, that, that process of dealing with fear and recognizing the unknown, that's, that's what I see is at the center of this. It's, I, have come across, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these ideas through Jordan Peterson, but this idea that the fundamental heroic journey is to, is to face something that's unknown to you
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to, uh, to, to kind of have to deal with fear and to have to deal with, with chaos and then mm-hmm. to be able to develop the mastery to overcome it.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and so for me, what I see parkour as is a process of intentionally going out and seeking those dragons that are yep. small enough for you to conquer mm-hmm. so that you can construct that character in yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is like, there's going to be risk and challenge and fear in life. Like no one is immune to that exactly and and the thing is if you're not uh engaging with the tools to face that as a kind of training system then it's not an if that turns up in your life it's like it's just well when because it because it will so then you you're not habituated you have no habituation to like like do you even know what fear how fear physically manifests in your body are you a shaky knee person are you a sweaty palm person are you a like so, like, for me, like, my, Andy Day said it uh, in, in a very beautiful way. <laughs> when we were, we were climbing in London once, he was like, Jules, your decision-making turns to shit at heights. I was like, <laughs> I know. I just, like, <laughs> I, I get scared and I just, I was like, I just, I, I actually got stuck on a climbing wall for about 20 minutes, and it <laughs> was a kind of comedy moment of, like, he was just like, well, you, you need to go up. And I was like, I can't. Uh, I, I can't i'm too scared and i'm too tired and he's like well then you need to come down and i was like uh, i can't i like i i i can't go to that thing he's like well then you need to jump down I, was like, I can't i can't i'm not i'm not jumping down there i can't and then and he and it was kind of like a, a friendly standoff and he was like "We well, got to do something <laughs> and then i was like i know and i stayed on this wall i stayed on the going for like 20 minutes and eventually he was like you're not going to move, are you? It's like I, no, and I'm just getting worse and worse, and I'm going to cry, and I'm just standing here. And and eventually he climbed up and like created a, a fake foothold for yeah. me to go down to, and then uh, to the other the layers. So, um, but now like how I, how I climb has completely changed, and I know that um, okay, when it goes there, when it goes there. And so like when I see people uh, training and then someone the other day felt really embarrassed that uh they, they were doing something in a workshop and they started crying and uh and it, it was actually it wasn't one of my shh, I don't know. Anyway, um it was at, at, a, at a yoga retreat I was I was invited to and, and one of the participants started um crying and, and she felt awful afterwards and I was like oh god I cry all the time in my training <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like in parkour, there's a lot of emotional crises happening all the time. It's re- it's really normal. And she's like, really? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're moving stuff, like emotionally, physically. You you're just moving stuff all all around. It's very very normal. Like so, and and that's the thing. So I know, you know, and I I know like with the um the the apex guys. In, <laughs> can you? can. us go. He's like, I'm bored now. You've been talking too long. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we had to do um, a fear test as part of their coaching. There, and I've had a really, really stressful few days. And I was kind of like on edge the, the, that morning. And um we did it. And, I, and even, <laughs> even before they'd explained what the challenge was, I, I just started to water up. I was just like, and the the whole point of the thing was again like do you know when there's something that you know you're potentially physically capable of but you um the only thing that's stopping you is 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 your emotional game not your physical game then you have to decide you know like well um and this happened to me a lot uh especially training with Thomas in London uh, and really breaking the jump was like do I want to carry on being the person that's scared to do this when I know I'm capable of it? And, and I got, I would, I get to the point where like, I'm just bored of this version of me. I I want to, I want a different, I don't, I don't want to be the person who goes home and goes like, shit, I know I could have done it and I didn't do it. And now, now I have to go back again and start again and do this and do that. And, and now like, I know that, um, yeah, like, I, I know, like, I was, I was in France at the the Dam de Lac a couple of years ago with my friend Auntie, and, like, she can climb to the top, like, da, 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 it's fine, I, I get, like, this far up, and my knees are physically banging against the concrete, and I was like, Auntie, you need to come down, you need to come and help me, I, like, and and I'm really scared now, and she's just like, okay, <laughs> and then there's other things where we, we've been together, and, and she's breaking a jump and doing something, and, and she's scared. So like I I respect that emotional journey and um and it is, it's it's are you are you familiar with that that range that you go through? Whether it's the like I can do it, no, I can't do it. I'm bored, you know, it's this roller coaster of like I uh, I'm bored, no, I can't, no. Okay, let me just come back to it. Okay, no, that's okay, this and then you know you have your little routines and your rituals that you try and, and do, but ultimately um for me it comes down to this was another uh, Johan the Gru thing, was that he would just go like, okay, three, two, one, fuck that shit. And you move. <laughs> because at some point when when you know you have the physicality, when you when you recognize that it's the emotional boundary that it, that is holding your you back, only you can flick the switch. And you have to decide with a okay, this is a good decision. This is the day I want to make that commitment. This is the day uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. This is the day I'm going to do those things. And, and it, hap- it happens at a very subconscious, very fast level. So it's not, you know, voiced out or, or anything like that. It's, it's these very embodied emotions. Um, so, you know, I know sometimes, and, and having for me this little ritual, so I, I borrowed it from Johan, So if I know like, okay, I'm training something, then I want to do it. And then I'll be like, okay, I I can stand here all day. I can stand here all day, but I've decided I want to do it. I know that I can do it. So now we're just looking at when. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then you go back. I know I want it. Do I want to do it? Yes. Am I capable of doing it? Yes. Okay. Do I really want to do it? Yes. Yeah. I want to do it. Okay. And like you play the loop for a while. And then for me, a lot of uh, breath work has really helped as well now. Um, So really, you know, kind of understanding the power of diaphragmatic breath and switching into parasympathetic and um, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, but then it's just like, okay, three, two, one, that's it. Move. Um, So yeah, it is, it's, uh, but like, yeah, if you're, if you're not training and seeking out challenge, life's going to bite
0: you on the ass. It's just
2: going to like Yeah. when not if, when not if, you
0: know. Touched a couple other thinkers that I really like. Rory Miller is a self-defense teacher who I really admire and he has this saying, uh, you don't get to choose the bad things that happen in your life. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: Just how you
0: deal with them. There's going to be tragedy. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be obstacles. That's the nature of life.
2: Yeah.
0: And and then the other, the other concept that comes up here for me is uh, Nassim Taleb's uh, concept of anti-fragility, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you when you're exposed to to da- to risk, to mm-hmm. error, to mm-hmm. stressors, this mm-hmm. becomes anti-fragile. Yeah. You intentionally buffer yourselves from those things, you atrophy. Yeah. Uh, it's like you only get to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. Physical practices in some ways are the are the the most concrete way to look at that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this habituation of resilience is um, it's something that we can all embrace. I mean, you know, like the the water is getting colder now, but you know, every every time after training, if Rodrigo says like, "Hey, do you, you want to go jump in the ocean?" I'm like, "Yes," <laughs> <laughs> because I know afterwards we'll feel amazing. I know, like, going in sometimes right now is like, <gasps> um, so. But yeah, I mean, habituation to resilience and and there's always a step you can take. That's the thing. It's not like and people think like, oh god! But then I have people think big, and you know, if you want big change, you need to think really small. Um, so I, yeah, I'm a, you know, you can you can habituate yourself to so much. We're we you know, people are we're kind of like cockroaches. We're 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 way more resilient if if yeah. if you have the exposure. Um, I Absolutely. think.
0: So you have to expose yourself, but then it's about the dosage, right? That's that exactly.
2: yeah yeah, 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 and i'm 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 the I'm the slow long road, yeah long road.
1: yeah
2: i mean i I really like the the david Bell quote, which is um parkour is a long term discipline,,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so you know like can you which is why, like how big is your jump it's just like phew, it's got nothing to do with anything, <laughs> kind of you know side of stuff, um you know can you can you ever stop learning how to overcome an obstacle no like what so you run out of obstacles that's ridiculous because that that presumes that the environment's not changing and you're not changing well both are changing all the time yeah so there's always an ability for change there's always an exploration there's always a new day like the when you surf there's there's never the same wave when when you're outside the temperature's different the light's different the 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 texture is different, the the moisture is different, the surface is different, you're different. Did you sleep? Did you are you awake? Are you tired? Are you beginning day like I it's always an option.
0: Greek philosopher Paramedes who said um, a man never steps in the same river twice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when we yeah, with the games we play outside.
0: Yeah. Stefan said something I liked. He said, you know, he never likes to say that a jump was easy.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's done
0: because it doesn't respect the process that went into it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone said to me once, um, yeah, well that's easy for you or something like something. And, And it was to do with, with, you know, my, my movement and, and I was like, like so offended I was like, you have no idea. Like, <laughs> like I turned into like an internally like a dragon. I was like, oh, how like, dare you. like, do you know how many times I've cried? Do you know how much I've hurt? Do you know, like, fuck. Like, on the one hand, like, how amazing that it looks like I've done something with ease that would create such a comment. Mm-hmm. like, wow, because really nothing did come with it, you know? Um, so it's it's kind of funny, like, and that's the thing, like you, you never know, you can, you know, you can, you can look at shapes, but uh, you never know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that, I wanted to talk about breaking the jump cause that's the title um, of the book. And, yes. and, uh, and I think it's an interesting place where the the parkour philosophy Um, kind of touches some of these other kind of concepts and some of these other ways that people have really started to try and answer this question of how do we grow in life? Mm -hmm. So Stefan Vigroux came out here to Seattle and taught a seminar and he took us
2: five
0: five steps of breaking the jump, right? It was feeling the call of the jump, Mm -hmm. um, assessing the jump, feeling the fear, overcoming the fear, deciding and acting. So six steps.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, what was fascinating to me about that? One, it, it helped me a lot. Like it actually, just having a process to think about the way that I did that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: it was it was an interesting time in my training because when I was in, um, I wasn't a guy who did a lot of rooftop stuff for mm-hmm. the years that I was doing mostly urban parkour mm-hmm. because I was already a leader pretty much from the moment I started I was near the community and I was always worried about uh the reputation that it would gain if I was caught trespassing yeah
2: yeah
0: but when I started moving in the trees nobody was gonna yeah yeah,
2: uh, yeah. uh, don't be in that part of that part of the tree yeah Yeah. you're in a tree yeah
0: so I started being able to explore heights and being able to really feel that process and the meaning of that process in a way and so I've you know uh it's very interesting to me because in some ways my skills are very, you know, that I my jump isn't a lot bigger than it was seven years ago. Um, but the stuff that I'm comfortable doing at Heights now is massively different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and working with Stefan and working with Dylan Baker Mm -hmm. from the apex scene also both in refining the mental game. But, uh, I, the guy I mentioned earlier, Rory Miller introduced me to this idea of the Uda loop, which is, um, Orient, uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. It's the central kind of yeah, yeah. Um, idea uh, that they use in the military. It came from this military thinker, John Boyd, and it's it's also applied by business thinkers. It's like everything mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the world is the reality that things are changing. You're not stepping the same move twice. You need to observe what's happening now, mm-hmm. orient, and then make a decision and act.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And parkour is this really interesting place to. Um, to, to, to be able to look at each step of the process in depth
1: mm-hmm.
0: and ask yourself, you know, am I, am I, am I seeing things? Mm-hmm. Right? Am I assessing them intelligently? Right? Mm-hmm. Do I have a process to overcome the fear? Mm-hmm. You talked about breath and visualization as part of mm-hmm. it. You're about breath primarily. Yeah. Breath is huge. Like I noticed that a lot of people, especially young guys, especially, especially younger people and especially young men, i will see them uh amp their nervous system up to try mm-hmm. and uh, overcome a challenge.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And they'll do it not and they don't always get injured. Um <laughs> but it always looks ha- janky, right? When you see like
1: mm-hmm.
0: i can do this. <clears throat> Come on in! and all his friends are shouting at him. It's like okay. no yeah. that when he jumps mm-hmm. it's horrible. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um and i think that's a really interesting process how how we do that. So um I guess my question here is how, you've you've how did that end up being the name of your book how have you been exposed to that thinking and how do you know how was it developed by those people because it's very interesting that the same concept was developed in the parkour community as came out of like John Boyd's work in the in military thinking
2: Um I mean they from the 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 questions they asked it was just like that phrase was always there it it was it was always there like many things, like no one ever really knows like where where that comes from. Like some some things that were really clear, like um like the name like L'Ardu de, de Plasmon, like that came from Sebastian Fouquin. You uh-huh. know, it was like, okay, like the 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 name Tic Tac, that came from Seb as well. Like but most of the time like they just didn't have names for stuff. They were just sounds like, like oh, it's like the tac 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 or the blah blah blah, you know, like the quack the when you sprain around your ankle or the um so there was this very, there's a kind of musicality and sound thing. So, but uh, breaking the jump was just in, in my teaching, as soon as, um, as you know, as soon as Stefan moved to London, everything changed in the parkour teaching that was happening at the time. Um, and then Johan came and Kazuma and then Thomas. Um, and then, you know, my journey was then, through them working my way back to then meeting. Uh, so, Williams was the first of the Yamak um, that I met, and then, then Chow and Yan, I think, and then Seb. And then, you know, it took five years to then go and interview David, and, and that was only through the endorsement of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, breaking the jump was just like, that was just part of the vernacular that was just always there like how to how are you going to overcome how are you going to achieve this challenge was just
0: did Stefan have that that breakdown of the six steps from the moment that you were introduced to the concept or was that something that developed later do you know
2: uh I mean it was never presented as these are the steps Mm -hmm. but yeah that's what we did That that's um yeah and like Yeah. Does it like, does it speak to you? Do you see it? And then the the visualization, like, can you see yourself? Like, can you, okay. And then, you know, like do the ground level stuff, test it out physically. Have have you got it kind of thing. And then, you know, yeah. Do you want it? Yeah. Okay. Like, are you going to press your own fuck it switch? Are you going (laughs) to do it? So, I mean, it wasn't laid out, but that's, that's what we did. Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't breaking much jump, many jumps. <laughs> I, was <just> like, <laughs> I was just surviving. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I, I observed them doing that. Um, you know what I filmed of their training practices, and what I filmed of them, those individuals doing that. Then, yeah, that was that was how they would go about it. But there's, I can't give you a clear like. I mean, it's like all of it. You know, they weren't kind of like, "Oh, well, I." This was a reference from from there or or there. Like, "Oh, so and so read this book or or whatever." There were just so many things that were, in, ideologically inherently part of their, cultural and family backgrounds, that were like, "Okay, yeah, you need to be resilient and resourceful," because we don't have shit. Like, <laughs> you need to to have this stuff. So you so need to find a way to do that. So they they,
0: yeah. So that actually brings me to I think the last question for for today's interview, which is we haven't touched much on the the anthropological side, which is because I was an anthropology student as well.
1: Mm.
0: Her her master's thesis on parkour, so we have that in common. But I have a spe- sort of a specifically anthropological question for you, which is there, there there's a lot of people who kept playing who mm-hmm. did stuff like the parkour community. Mm-hmm. Right? When I started parkour, um, there was a guy. Who, uh, who was doing gymnastics classes at the gym that I taught at, who was you know, taking adult classes, who was always doing parkoury stuff. He was always swinging on the rings and swinging yeah. from bar to bar. Yeah. And, and so I saw a video of David Bell. I was like, this is amazing, but I was too scared to do it. So I showed him yeah. the video,
1: yeah.
0: and he started harassing me to come out and do it. And it turned out that for years, he'd been running down the local beaches, jumping from rock to yeah. rock and cliff yeah. diving and you know, jumping up sets of stairs. He'd been doing this stuff, essentially. He yeah. never stopped as a child. Yeah. And I've met these feral kids over and over again. I hear this yeah. story with Oleg Voroslav, who's one of the you know, super well-known free runners. is that he didn't really find parkour. The parkour community found him. Yeah. Like, he was just playing and doing acrobatics in this playground yeah. and never stopped. And
2: then the community yeah.
0: said, oh, you're doing parkour. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. sure. oh, is that
2: what it's called? Okay, yeah. yeah. I'll
0: jump around with you too. Um, so what, what do you think it was about this group of kids from France that they... They put a structure to this thing that was popping up here and here and here and here, but never taking off. It mm-hmm. was able to make it a revolution throughout the world
2: because they weren't alone it wasn't a single outlier it was um and it and this is the the thing where um so you'll be on, you' the park was an individual practice, mm-hmm. but they experienced it collectively so and and also i think the level uh, at which they were taking it was normalized by the fact that there were like 9 10 11 of them doing it 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 wasn't like oh well that's just the crazy kid who who does that jumping around stuff it was like they had their own kind of little culture and world that they lived in which was of exploring their limits and the my my kind of conclusions of of you know, why they were doing that of, you know, even though the answer was always like to be strong, to be strong and like, okay, let's unpack this word a little bit. What, what is strong? And so then you look at like, okay, this, there's this mental game. There's the emotional control game. Okay. Physically, like, okay, you, you guys have got body armor, like, and still now, you know, like 25 years later, like there's no knee problems. There's no back problems. There's no, <laughs> and this is guys who are doing like, you know, 500 drop jumps a day, you know, kind of like, crazy number training, crazy kind of resistance training. Um, and so the answer at the end of it was identity. So it's just, you know, when, when you're moving, like, like what's that guy doing up on the, on the rooftop, going across there on one level, he's like going, well, yeah, he's seeing if he can jump across there, but he's seeing who he is. He's finding out who he is. So it's, it's all an identity kind of search. So, but my, the idea of like why, why, why these, this group from France, as opposed to like this one guy in Russia or this one guy there or, or one guy there was, you know, the, it's a very unique recipe of the, the cultural, cross-cultural influences, you know, everything from, uh, you know, Jan's family, the Bell family, um, Charles's family, like this, this idea of what suffering is, is very relative. So, you know, we're, we're both living in North America and I think it's pretty safe to say our lifestyles are full of comfort and convenience for, for, the, for the two of us. So, whereas for Charles, like his, his mother had walked across Congo and her siblings had been murdered. So as a parent, the reference of what is suffering is very different than what, <laughs> what your, your son's reference would be to an idea of suffering. For, for something you've experienced. So the therefore, when you have these, these other references, what is, are set at more extremes then everything else can become more extreme. What is your limit? What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Well, you, you, you do that thing and you break your leg. Well, and then you're going to be taken to hospital. Okay. So what are you so scared of? <laughs> what's the, what's the big deal? Well, you're not going to die in the middle of the jungle. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Okay. Stop you Stop your whinging. You know? So it's, there's, there's a relative extreme, but, this collective experience of it was more than one and they all fed into that, you know? So you had this range of um, physical and emotional uh, influences. You know, you had the the perfection of gymnastics. You had the conflict and fight of from, from wrestling and just like from, from Jan <laughs> it like, if I create conflict with you, you'll show me who you are. Yeah. That's Jan life boom I'm going to piss you off I'm going to push your buttons how you react I'll see who you are I see who you are Oh, now you're my brother cool we're family mm-hmm. you know so you have uh those personality traits you have influences from athletics you have influences from basketball you have influence from martial arts you have um then this kind of resilience and resourcefulness and creativity and so you know people have always run and jumped and climbed and done you know crazy solo stuff like body centric and they've been creative or whatever. But, and th- there's nothing new in that, but it was this recipe mixed with these cultural uh, cross-cultural formations and, and influences mixed in with these architectural folly, which is is kind of, you know, written about with, with every and the urban planning, but then also mixed in with the nature of the, the, the equine forest in Sarcelle. So, you know, everyone, You know, we saw parkour in the urban landscape because it has more implicit political meanings. And in terms of the power relations of what it means to not follow the route, like this architecture has been built. So you go down here and you go down here and you go down here. But then this person's gone, no, I want to go there, there, there. No one moans at you in nature if you do that. Like okay, what well, you've gone off trail? Like woo, like it's not so big a deal, you know? Yeah. Like what do you mean you 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 went? You decided to take that line and step over that log? It's not such a big story, because the power relations aren't at at play in the same way as that they are in the urban. So um, and you know at the beginning of the of uh, you know the initial Yamakazi group when they did the display of, against the the military firefighters, they were then seen as like. There was then something that could give uh, a relative comparison for mainstream eyes. So when the so the first public showing of the physical skills, I mean, every time I say physical skills, I am meaning like mind body skills because that for me that's just like implicit and inherent. Of if you can do this great thing. You've you've gone through some mind games and, and emotional games to be able to do that, um, you know. So when so the elite military firefighters were the pinnacle, in in the the eyes of the you know young Parisians of fitness, control, and functionality and ability, and then this unknown group of guys dressed in black and white as ninjas with masks came in and owned them. Mm-hmm. That was the that opened the door. So the, it was made relative. It was like, okay, these guys are the best. This is the best of the best of the best. No, they're not. Okay, well, let's let's look at what's happening with this. So those those other outliers, they they were, from what I know, you know, people like Oleg, you know, they're 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 on their own, or the guy at your gym, or or you know, um, someone like Daniela Baca, or you know, they're like, well, yeah, they've just been like running around these walls since forever um yeah. but the the fact that you have this group it's like the the storytelling the you know they stayed up all night and they talked about their training <laughs> it's not like some random kid who's just doing his own thing uh so i, I believe it it was the the collective that that's yeah. why i always refer to it because they you know they were a group of friends so yeah. um,
0: you, I'm not sure how familiar the audience with, is with the history of this group, you know? mm. so I feel like since it's you and I talking, you know that I know a lot of the context, but uh, to just give people a little bit of background, um, you know, parkour was started by a group of kids from the suburbs of Evry and Lise in, uh, in Paris. And Sarcelles. And Sarcelles, Yeah, and Sorcelles, Um I guess early early nineteen nineties, uh, late 1990s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They were all, you know, they were in their early teens when they started training together. I think in the story at the beginning of Breaking the Jump, uh, Jan was seventeen and Dave was fifteen. Was that correct?
2: Uh, there's only, yeah, there's only I think what depending time of year, there's like one year between them. yeah, something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. And um, and you know, what, what's interesting one of the things that's interesting to me about that story is that they're, they're mostly immigrant kids, right? They're, yeah. they're second generation yeah. or, you know, uh, kids from Vietnam, from Africa, from mm-hmm. New Caledonia with the Nanja yeah. family. And so you talked about this idea of the search for identity. Uh, another thing, I think a lot of those kids, uh, if I remember correctly, were all struggling in school. They had a hard time with uh, the kind of the standard system. And maybe, uh,
2: no, not all of them, no. No, no, no. Uh, David. David wrote even like in his own book about how he did, but um, Chow actually did was you know Chow did was flying yeah. high. He was like a a student. Um, so yeah,
0: Stefan also talked about that struggle as
2: well. Yeah, he, I mean it's interesting because so the the this first generation, yeah, they were all so the founders were really they're all first you know the the children of first generation immigrants. um, In uh, and what's interesting is so that they were from these very opposite sides of Paris. And this is one thing at the beginning. I was like, so hang on, how come there's a group of friends in one area and and they end up like best friends and doing this stuff with other people who are like 40 kilometers away. Like how does that happen as a teenager? Because you don't you hang out with people from school yeah. and your neighborhood. And so this is where so David Bell was the catalyst because it was he was friends with everyone in Lease and Every, mm-hmm. but his cousins were in Sarcelle. So Sarcelle is where you had this amazing forest where they had these very kind of rural, they, they described it as like, it was like going on holiday yeah. because their their lives were in these very contentious areas. There was, you know, they, one of the dreams that they, they talked about was that they just wanted to believe that something else was possible for them because, you know, they, these were, they were kind of, you know, painted with the brushstroke of like, this is the banlieue, this is the... These are immigrants who cause, they cause trouble. There's lots of crime. There's lots of violence. There's lots of social unrest. Like there was nothing good. Like these, they, they had no voice and, and they weren't kind of valued. So they felt um, outside as well. I mean, Yano always says, you know, like we weren't welcome anywhere. Um, so, uh, so David was the catalyst because he would bring his friends to go and visit his family. And then his family would come back and they got to know his friends. So, um, they all basically kind of spent time together and, and then that grew. And then, you know, the games you play as teenagers and, you know, moving and, and changing and, and they were all active. They all loved sport. Um, So that was the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a product of boredom that yeah. they were active. These were like, just, they wanted to move, but there, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources and, um, so they, you know, they did their, their sports clubs that were available. You know, David was doing gymnastics and Chao was doing martial arts and Haram was doing basketball and, and Jan was gate-crashing athletics events. <laughs> you know, like the stuff was just like, really? What? Seriously? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, I know some people who gate-crashed the London Marathon. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't get it now. Um, so they, yeah, they just, you know, where other people stop those games or they, they have other opportunities. They, they just carried on, and but they took them further and further and further and further. And they had, you know, these other characters who were kind of larger than life, you know, in, in their lives. And so again, it's these, they had extreme references. Um, and then the second generation, like someone like Stefan was really interesting because he came from a very, very comfortable middle-class family. Yeah. But he was just an angry kid. <laughs> so... Yeah, a he was, sweet guy. oh yeah, yeah the best. Like, but he always says himself, like, "Oh, like the shame I was such an asshole." Like, he's <laughs> he really, and uh, so yeah, you know, he was just an angry guy who didn't want to be anything like his parents, and and he met David Bell, who was this, you know, charismatic, amazing mover. Who then, you know, and it, it's happened in a, I know a few kind of movement disciplines where you have like a younger guy and an older guy, and And there's this kind of hero status and and they have a very close relationship for about seven years, five, seven years. And then the younger person has to like cut them out of their life for a while because they don't know who they are anymore. So this kind of, um, you know, so a lot of very interesting relationships. But yeah, Stefan was interesting because I was like, okay, well, like, like I've met your parents. I've been to your family house. It's really nice. (laughs) Like, what what were you so angry about? You know, who's just angry at life? yeah you know? so he, he wasn't but then johan his younger brother same house amazing at school johan wasn't angry but he went out and fell in love with parkour as well yeah interesting. And they're close yeah they're, so they're, it's, it's always fun like so many stories um and this
0: cool well we've been chatting for quite a while now right. <laughs> we're good uh well definitely i feel like there's there's more stuff would be interesting to talk about and getting deeper into the philosophy and the anthropology and, and all these things. So perhaps we can do it again. But uh, yeah. for now, I'd like to be respectful of your time and, and then we can stop there. But thank you very much, Julie.
2: No, pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you.
0: And, uh, and if people are interested in your work and coming to, to, to see what you do and, and, and train with you, where should they find you?
2: um so i run a website called c and do um and the uh, the url is c s e e dash com. or you can always go to julieangel.com um and you'll find links to it there but yeah find me on on facebook say hi send me a message and go like what the hell are you talking about or um yeah so thank you for your time
0: awesome thank you very much and talk to you again Thank you for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes if you can. Finally, as we mentioned before the show, this is a listener-supported podcast, and if you want to be able to have us have the most regular content, have the best guests on, and give you guys the best quality of audio and video, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Thank you very much, and I look forward to sharing more with you guys soon.